0: Dr. Louise Marla, I am so excited to have you on this. I love saying Dr. Louise Marler. Um, But let's just start off with um, what it is that you do these days. Tell us about your business.
1: Oh, great, Jules. Well, I am excited to be here and I help people be heard.
0: Right. Well, that's very succinct. But can you tell us in a little bit more detail what actually, how that actually translates into the real world business?
1: Yes. So how it translates is that I look at people's body language and their voice and how they get their voice out of their body uh, and, and look at how they can be heard in terms of influencing others in the boardroom, being heard on a Zoom meeting, um, you know, doing a presentation, whatever it is.
0: Okay. So what, why? What's the big why? Why have you set it up in the first place?
1: Uh, The history of why I set it up um, was because I came from an opera background and then I moved into business. And, you know, I was fascinated spending my whole life uh, on sound and producing sound and setting the body up and the work that goes into that to then come into business and find People were putting no work into it whatsoever. And I just became passionate about spreading the knowledge I had and sharing that with people so that they could do it. Fantastic. So I'm sure even though
0: you've been obsessed with voice all your life and you've gone from opera, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there must have been something that happened that you just went, oh my God, I've got to teach people. This is ridiculous. Was there that light bulb moment where you went, this is what I'm going to teach people? Um, I'm assuming it's something to do around leadership because you must have heard someone speak
1: really badly. (laughs) Is that what happened? Yeah, well, I heard people speak. You know, when when you're in opera, you spend your whole life, you know, looking at how you get air out of your body and how you you manipulate that air for different emotional impact. And it becomes so intense. You know, you're deciding how much air you put into the phrase, why you do. And then I I got into business and I met people who are fabulous at what they do. And then they get up to present and they go, G'day, everyone. Uh, critical this morning is, uh, this. And, and, and I just think, sorry, what was your decision making process on that? Um I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And so I started to incorporate my ideas into what I was doing. And I was actually a quality manager in engineering. Can you believe that? After I finished opera and I became a, a quality. That's a great little
0: anecdote. I wouldn't have seen you as that, but go on. <laughs>
1: loved it. Um, you know, in God, we trust all others use data. That was one of my phrases and, uh, um, you know, but I got the most fantastic training doing that. But while I was doing it, I just became, you know, more and more fascinated about helping people actually communicate, um, even their quality ideas. And I was talking to, um, you know, one of my, uh, bosses and telling them all my ideas and, uh, and, and they said, um, you know, uh, wh- wh- tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And I said, yes, yes, yes. Look, I believe opera, you know, and body's really important and getting the voice out and vocal dynamics and, you know, and, and they went, tell me more, tell me more. And I kept, I fell right into it. I kept talking. And then he said, have you finished? And I said, yeah. And he said, you bring your weird shit in here again. You're out. And that so i just have to sit here and go oh my
0: god fancy someone saying that to you no wonder that that was a bit of impetus to get the hell out of there
1: yeah and you know i I thought about it and i thought well do you know it's not weird shit it's really my life you know there's a there's a poem that goes who was that research i i saw you with last night that was no research that was my life right
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, and I bet the guy who actually said that to you probably didn't have a very particularly strong voice himself. I just find that really amazing. I I think you'll find he was hugely
1: successful. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's the
0: best way to say up yours. All right. So now let's take you. Let me take you right back to practically childhood. So when you left school, I bet you didn't say when I finish when I grow up, I want to teach people about how to have a voice of influence. What did you want to do and how did it all unfold? Can we go back that far? Do you mind? Well, obviously not that far because I know you're only barely out of your 20s. But if we can just wind back a bit.
1: Well, my my mother always said I fell off the front gate and uh, dislocated my arm backwards, and my mother said I hit topsy and held it for a couple of hours, um, and and uh, and that was a sign. Um, but you know, at school we didn't have a music department; we had plays, and I usually played a man. I usually played a German soldier or a spy or a witch or something like that. And uh, but you know, usually the lead role, so born show off.
0: And where was this? Where where were you in your
1: childhood? In Brisbane at St. Aidan's, you know, Church of England Girls School, grade one to grade 12. Um, didn't affect me, didn't affect me, didn't affect me, didn't affect me. Lose
0: the twitch on the shoulder. Right. So um, you left school and what did you want to do leaving school?
1: Well, maths is my thing, Jules. Maths, maths, maths. I I, I did very well in maths. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went off and I did a a degree in, um, you know, in econometrics. I'm very good at that. Um, I did a degree in economics, majoring in econometrics, and I was on my way to the Bureau of Statistics, and uh, and I was doing part-time singing. So I joined the Light Opera Company. I did not. Yes, wasn't that fun. And, uh, you know, and did roles in there. It was hilarious. And uh, did roles in there. And I had a singing teacher. And when I was finishing my economics degree and just about to go to the Bureau of Statistics, my singing teacher said, you know, seriously, Louise, you should do this professionally. And I thought, uh, 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 uh,
0: did you even know anyone who was a singer professionally? Because in those days, hardly anyone was. We heard of Pavarotti. I guess. Or maybe he was a bit too young in those days. But like the idea of being a Brisbane schoolgirl and going off to become an opera singer
1: must have been quite huge and exciting. You know, it was, we used to, people don't even know these singers, but, you know, I got took on by, taken on by a woman called Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, who was huge. You know, I I believe Clive James mentions her in his book, but she was, she was massive. And um, she took me on. I even, I won her scholarship. I did operas with her and I lived with her in Switzerland. And one day, uh, and, you know, we used to listen at the Conservatorium to her recordings and and Rita Streich and um, you know these fabulous fabulous people who people don't know anymore and one day I was in Schwarzkopf's home and the doorbell rang and this little woman came in and she was wearing an ill-fitting coat with a big brooch and I thought she was the cleaning lady you know it was Switzerland and there was snow and and she said Rita come in, come in, come in um, listen you might like to sit down and just listen to Louise so she sat down on the couch and Schwarzkopf's playing the piano and um, we're playing something and, and then she she turned to me and she said now Louise miss Streich and I suddenly froze and I thought that's Rita Streich and Elizabeth Schwarzkopf is playing the piano for me what am I doing here you know it's kind of surreal really I bet but, you know, but so fabulous people you meet so how did you end up in Switzerland from Brisbane take me on that little journey Yeah, well, you know, I I did the Australian singing competition uh, twice in, in, you know, Sydney at the Opera House, and then I won lots of money with scholarships and went to Europe um, together with Greta Elkins, who was um, Joan Sutherland's second, you know, she was the mezzo to Joan Sutherland. And she was taking
0: you as her sort of protégé ingenue, was she? Yeah. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. And we went to to Europe to study with Kaiser Bremer, who was the vocal coach at Bayreuth um, for Wagner, And, uh, and we went there and... And then things just coasted. from there. I got a role in Alborough in England with uh, Benjamin Britten, Peter Pears, school. Um, and I ended up doing the lead in their festival there and worked with Hans, did all the masterclasses with Hans Hodavishnivskaya, um, uh, you know, Schursten Meyer, uh, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf. That's where I met Elizabeth Schwarzkopf. Right. And, and how many years know, was that? I mean, so
0: you'd left Australia, I guess, at sort of 18-ish. How
1: No, no, I did my economics degree. First. Oh, yeah, so 21-ish. And then I did a music degree, and a postgraduate music, and letters in music. So I did, you know, tons of studies. You did. So let's. And say, I did half a So were degree. you
0: in your sort of late twenties when you were in Europe?
1: Ah, uh, early twenties, mid, to, you know, twenty four I was, I think, or twenty three when I went there, and um, and yeah, so all of my twenties, and I went to, uh, Europe, and then Schwarzkopf said. Um, you know, will you come to Wigmore and do uh, things with me there? And then, will you come and live with me in Salzburg? And then, um, the Vienna State Opera rang. And oh no, first of all, we we went to Salzburg and did the festival, and that was great because I did the Countess in the Marriage of Figaro with um, Sir Peter Pears uh, producing. That was a, that was directing. That was the most incredible experience being in Salzburg. Hi. Um, why? Because Peter, um, because Peter Ustinov was the funniest man I've ever met. And it was really high caliber music. The people who were there It was conducted by Gary Bertini of Frankfurt Opera. And, um, you know, Schwarzkopf was coaching. And it 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 was quite magnificent. So it was
0: one of those pinch me moments that you obviously still clearly have in your head. Yeah,
1: it really was. And then when and, do you go you from know, there? Well, I... Where do you go from there? Well, I just go back. I, I think I had dinner with Peter Houston off 16 times, you know, and and he is the greatest raconteur ever born on this planet. I'm so envious. That, were, that just would have been amazing go on mm, experiences that stick in your mind um you know so he he was there and he was working with us on the opera and then he was also doing some speaking for the united nations at the time and then you know he'd go walking one night and we were in a cafe and in a pizza restaurant and he walked past and he saw us there and he said oh you know I'll come in and sit down with you and he sat down with you well of course Twenty, fifty, a hundred people gathered round, and he just started telling stories. I, you know, memorable, um, and everyone screaming with laughter, and him just raving on for hours. You know, this is not a paid performance. This was just in the street. It was. Well, it's to go back to your idea of, um, you know, I'd be doing
0: this anyway, even if, <laughs> even if I was just dragging people off the street. He was obviously the same. Just loved telling yes. stories and
1: being around people and getting the reactions. Yeah, you know, my, my, my business isn't a business. It's a calling. You know, I couldn't not do it if I wanted to. And, uh, and he couldn't either. And yeah. And, and then from there, I got a contract at the Vienna State Opera. So I went to the Vienna State Opera.
0: Incredible. And so how does, how did your career move on there that you've ended up where you are now? I want to hear yeah.
1: how it all unfo- well, unfolded. It, it, unfolded. The Vienna State Opera, what a fabulous opportunity. I mean, you know, I got to understudy Lucia Pop. I got to do Echo for Jesse Norman. These are huge names. I got to meet Pavarotti, Domingo, Carreras, you know, see them sing, be on stage. Um, you know, I didn't sing solo roles with them. You know, I did Echo for Jesse Norman in uh, Ariadne auf So she goes, ah, and I had to sing, ah. You know, echo, I mean big deal, but um you know, I got to do premier operas, you get to cover Fideligi with cheer pop, great, great experiences, do touring operas, do contemporary opera um you know it it was great, and i 'm in my late twenties by then, and uh, you know ha, ha, sorry, how much money are you earning? I was starving to death. You know, you do not earn enough money to pay the bills. I didn't have family in Vienna. It was minus 30 degrees and I got bronchitis and just coughed and coughed and coughed like, you know, bowen like Mimi me, me, in Bohem. <laughs> but of course would that you would have been very worried presumably that
0: that was hurting your voice as well.
1: It was hurting my voice. I lost my voice regularly. Um, you know, it was getting swollen. I was with the, you know, laryngologist constantly steaming 20 times a day. Um, you know, it was hell. It was absolute hell. But it wasn't just hell because of the environment, because I was alone, but because of the other people at the opera. You know, um, they take in 12 singers every year. And the, it's not an ensemble house. It's, it's a house where every production has the famous singers brought in. Um, but then these, these base young singers fill in with, as I said, the small parts understudies whatever. And, um, and, you know, all of those others were from countries that suffered from serious war. And, and in those days, you know, there was an Iron Curtain. And if they went home, they went down the mine, and it was hugely competitive. You know, they were from Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, Serbia, um, Russia, Um, and it was kill or be killed, and somebody was killed. Somebody was murdered when I was there um, within the uh, ensemble. Yeah, one of the dancers, actually. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, it, it really
0: does put some perspective, doesn't it? When you think of our nice, cushy, you know, idealistic lives that we live in Australia, that there aren't everyone doesn't have the same thing. And the thought of if I lose this position, I'm going to go home and I and my family will be in shame and I may be set up into the mines or whatever Great. is a whole different ballgame, isn't it? So, So was there something that made you decide to get out? Was there any particular... One off uh, Yeah,
1: there was I was doing a contemporary opera called Jakob Lentz, and Jakob Lentz is contemporary, and my role in it I've always had a top f you know, I can still do it, and so I get used a lot to do you know ba <laughs> you. Or, or, you know, that sort of music. And um, in Inyaka Lentz, half of the opera I was singing a semitone away from someone else who was wearing a semitone. I was half nude most of the time. I was wearing a bald wig. You know, it was... It was really difficult, the costuming, the music. And then there's a moment frozen in my um, life where I was standing on this bit of scenery and Jakob Lentz was standing at the bottom and I was playing Goethe's wife. He, Jakob Lentz was a schizophrenic who was in love with Goethe's wife. And, um, and, and the uh, you know, producer turned to me and said, uh, OK, OK, now I want you to come down off the rocks and rape him. And 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 I remember looking at the floor thinking, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to play. Sorry. I don't want to do it. I'm over. I'm over. I'm out. You know, this is not what I signed up for. Um, yeah, this is not fun.
0: <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't sound like fun at all. But what do you do? You're stuck with no money in Europe um, deciding you don't want to be where you are. How did you get home?
1: Well, you know what? We, it, it's, you know, uh, first of all, I married my boyfriend and got pregnant. That's what a girl does. And, um, and, uh, and, uh... Uh, You know, it's not just that. It's how do you cope with the change of moving from a career into which you have invested everything, with no money behind you, um, all your dreams are shattered, your confidence is shattered. And then, you know, my husband, when I was seven months pregnant, said, "Look, I'm sorry, this doesn't work for me at all." You know, he married an opera star, and suddenly I wasn't, and he said, "I'm out," and and he left. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't try this at home. No, this doesn't sound Uh,
0: fun at all. So did you manage to get yourself home with the baby? Yeah. So I eventually got myself home with the baby. Yes, that's right. And then what do you do? Because you're here and as you say, crushed, probably because of, of what's happened with your operatic career. So how did you turn that into I'm going
1: to go into business? Well, funnily enough, I got into, um, I, I think I made a bit of a mistake. You know, those things were sliding doors. I had the opportunity at London Business School to do a special master's in arts and business, and I just didn't have the money to do it. You know, I had to come home. And I came home, but, you know, still sort of followed that path of passion, not really arts and business, but more more bringing performance skills into business. And I I didn't mean to, you know. I got a job at BHP, telling them that I had an economics degree. You know that was what interested them. Um, and I didn't even tell them I sang. I, I you know I completely hid it because I thought it would undermine such a
0: huge part of your life. So you ended up at, at sorry, where did you say BHP? BHP,
1: yeah. Mm, engineering right. division and that's how I became head of quality I'd been there two weeks at BHP engineering and the general manager came down and said um do you want a coffee and I said yeah yeah so we went for a coffee and he said what do you know about quality and I said nothing and he said oh, doesn't matter do you want to be quality manager and I went yeah okay <laughs> um, and uh, yeah but you know that was the opportunity of a lifetime I mean I just got so much training in everything that moved you know Mm. it's
0: great I think to go and work for a big organization because absolutely um, you know you do get a lot I did the same with the Herald and Weekly Times when Murdoch just bought it and I remember thinking wow like I wouldn't be getting this opportunity anywhere else so so tell me about so your life you come back you've got a young baby you start at BHP what happens then
1: well, I, I just kept learning and learning and learning and learning and learning. And one day a lady came to me and said, could you speak um, at our master's program in Melbourne? We'd like to bring you down and speak to our – I was in Brisbane. Would you like to come and speak at our master's program? And I said, well – and I heard about it. And I said, well, yeah, I will. But actually, I'd like to um, – be part of your master's program so I did I actually became I finished uh, my master's um in it was in org psych but it was a funny it was in the maths department funnily enough but it was uh kind of an org psych um, master's and then when I finished that they said to me will you we'd like to support you to do a phd so I enrolled in the phd so you were and so really were
0: as an academic basically kind of working your way through various degrees and things
1: well no I, I left BHB and moved down to Melbourne and did my PhD full time.
0: Oh okay so what did you do when you when you were incredibly qualified? What happens then? Then I became rich and famous, George. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. No, no, no. Come on. We want to know how that all happened. That's the juicy bit.
1: Well, I'll tell you how it happened. You know, I, I had this need to perform and perform, you know, talking about performance skills for passion to um, talk about performance skills for people in business. And so I started to get out. And I set myself a goal. um, you know, I remember Amanda Gore was the my idol. Well, she is. She's a bit
0: of an idol of mine as well. She's an amazing woman. Yeah,
1: and um, you know, and she spoke. How did you get to do what she's doing? You know, and so I set myself a goal. It was the old school of free to fee. You know, I would speak for. I'd I'd speak for a fridge door. You know, and I set myself a goal of three talks a week. So I literally went to every breakfast meeting, business meeting, Toastmasters, anything I could find and, and did, you know, three a week minimum. For how long? Um, do you know, I don't remember. I've got a very good skill of, uh, when things are hard of actually blanking out what happened, you know, I forget the hard bits. Um, but you know, years, years, um, and then, you you know, I was doing training, training, training as well. That was where the income was and training in anything, training in assertion skills, communication, presentation skills, customer service, difficult situations, anything I could find and um, and speaking. And then eventually, you know, an agent uh, heard me and said, oh, I'd like to we'd like to take you into our business. Right. And so you got yourself an agent. You'd
0: been doing a whole lot of talks for free. Uh, Presumably the agent's going to take a cut.
1: Well, slowly you start doing them for 500, then 1,000, then 2,000, then 4,000,
0: then 6,000. And it goes up from there. And how long have you been doing that for now?
1: Well, successfully, Jules. Um, (laughs) 10 years. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: And then, and so when did you start the taking it into leadership and executive presence. When did that happen from just doing being a keynote speaker? And I know you speak at incredible events now. In fact, the first time I ever met you, you blew my tiny mind. So let's blow everyone else's. Tell everyone what's the most you've earned and how many people you had to speak to and for how long.
1: Well, you know, usually keynotes are 45 minutes to an hour. And, um, and, you know, if you go to America, which I've done many times, then, you know, fees there are fantastic. They're, you know, 25, I mean, the big people get paid a fortune, but, you know, for for good speakers, 25,000 US for the... The session, mm. amazing, and you know they have big audiences of twelve, fifteen thousand.
0: Yeah, incredible. So after you've um, done done all this speaking, how did you? I don't want to say full because I'm sure there was a, there was actually some strategy behind it. But how did you end up teaching other people? Because now I think you actually teach lots of leaders of organisations how to have presence, how to speak
1: clearly and communicate clearly, don't you? Yeah, look, the work that I do is relevant for everybody. Uh, what I find, though, is that when people aren't ready for transformation, that they don't take the feedback. So you can say to somebody, what are you doing with your right hand? And a leader will go, oh, I didn't realize I was doing something. What was I doing? And I'll go, da-da-da. And I'll go, great, what should I be doing? And I'll go, da-da-da. And they go, okay, I'll do that now. Um, you know, that's what I love. Um, I don't like it when someone says, how dare you give me that feedback? Um, I didn't even know I was doing it. Maybe I wasn't doing it. Maybe that's not what I was doing. Maybe there are, yeah, maybe there are 52 reasons why I was doing it. And you've misread it. And, you know, um, and, and then they start fighting me. I'm like, well, you're not ready, you know. Mm. Okay,
0: so these days, what's your business actually called? Do you just do it under your name or do you have a... I do, yeah, Louise Marler. All right, so, okay, so what an incredible story that is, and I have to say. So the next question I ask everyone, I don't know whether there have been, but because we're a show all about women in business, it's worth asking. Are there any women that have helped you along the way at key points? And if so, how did they help you and who were they?
1: Oh, uh, all the way, at every step. Um, uh, you know, people who supported me, you know, I talked about Greta Elkins taking me to Europe and singing teachers and, uh, and then, um, you know, in Europe, there were people who looked after me in Germany, um, who took me on and helped me. Oh, massively. I'm loving that there's a lot of women helping you because there's so many industries yeah, yeah, no.
0: where women, I mean, I don't want to say that they always do, but you hear these horrific stories of women undercutting other women, and yet you're saying that there were loads of women that helped you, which is...
1: Jules, I've got a story I never tell. Oh, tell me, tell me. So, you know how Greta Elkins and I went to Germany together, as I said, and um, and poor old Greta's passed away, so she can't even dispute this story. But we had a massive argument in the car, and she couldn't speak German, and I could. I'd studied German, and she wouldn't take my direction, and we were on the freeway, and we were totally lost, and we had a huge argument, you know, and she's going, oh, well, if you know better, you drive, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I've had enough of this, and I jumped out of the car and um and I was near a forest and I just started walking this is an absolutely true story and um and I just started walking and there were there was a woman with two elderly women. She was a, um, a real estate agent and she was taking these two elderly women for their weekly walk through this magnificent German forest. And they caught up and I thought it was fun to speak to the locals and they thought it was fun to speak to me. And, um, and she said, well, where are you living? And I, I told her I was in a hotel with this woman, but you know, I was going to stay in Germany, but I didn't know where. And she said, you must live with me. And I literally went home with her and uh, and lived with her for yeah, months and months and months and she supported me she was a very wealthy woman and um and she had this beautiful marvel apartment with everything in it and it, yeah she gave me a car to drive uh, took me for dinner with her partner and and um looked after me that's amazing are you still in touch with her i am I am. Oh, I love that story. And she married a very famous architect um, in Germany after that. And then. um... And what happened to your friend, by the way, who'd driven off without you? Oh, you know, she had a hugely successful career and, you know, lived happily ever after and, oh. and uh,
0: you know, never looked back. All it. happy endings. So that's a great story of just going home with someone. You do those kind of things, though, when you're travelling and you're on your own. I know that um, I ended up living in Brixton Prison because when I first arrived in London, I had met a man in Jamaica who had said, if you ever need a bed, I'll put you up. And I was literally sofa surfing and he rang and said I hear you need a, a bedroom and I've got a spare room and he looked after me for the first few months so um, every once great. in a while if, if you're adventurous things can really work out so talk to me about in your career any pivotal moments particularly around setting up your own business successes or challenges and anything that you've learned from <laughs> sorry that's a big broad brushstroke yeah, statement but I can't even remember anything those. stand out in your in your mind um what about juggling work and life so what sort of hours do you work when you are as passionate as you are and you know you do have to have some downtime or otherwise you burn out burn out how are you juggling it do you have set hours that you uh work and don't
1: work or or what do you do? no i don't no i don't i have uh, no discipline at all i work Whenever I want to work, I work all night. I don't work all night. I work on the weekend. I don't work on the weekend. You know, I work when the work needs to be done, and uh, I'm not averse to hard work. And you know, I'm 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 I am my business. You know, my business isn't yeah. separate. Um, and that's what I do. I have a property, and I have horses and dogs and donkeys now, and a massive garden. I've got forty acres and. You know, I I look after all of that. Um, I organise all of that, you know, myself. So so
0: there's definitely some time that isn't being spent on teaching people about having a voice of influence. All right. So now we're down to the silly questions, which I really enjoy as well. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know? Something that, you know, you do or can't do or anything that's a bit interesting?
1: I can put my feet behind my head. Yeah, no, I've got the double jointed hips. I can put my feet behind my head. I've always been able to do it. Oh Oh my god, she's just done it for anyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are amazing. All right, and now last
1: couple of I've cracked glass twice, how's that? I've broken glass twice.
0: Oh my goodness,
1: how do you even do that? What happened? Well, it's it's vibration. It's clean vibration. And it's not even very high notes that did it. It was just sort of semi-high notes. But that, you know, and it just done the vibration. I always is, yes. Have you ever seen that
0: fabulous movie from, I don't even know when it was from, called Thoroughly Modern Millie with Julie Andrews and and Channing Tatum? And I think it's Channing. Actually, I probably got that name wrong. I feel like... Um, but it's, there was an older woman and in it she sings and smashes the um, champagne glass and everything else around the all, the, all the glass around the room. Were you doing it on purpose? Was it a test?
1: No, actually <laughs> What happened? Oh well, uh, once I was in the dining room at home, and there was just pr- the piano was in the dining room, and um there was this huge there was crystal on the bench, and bang, huge crack, and it just split down the middle. And exactly the same thing. I was in England, and I was with um, my then sister in law's house, and she had a sideboard, and it had crystal on it, and I was practicing at the piano, and bang, huge explosion, and then the crystal, you could just pull it apart. That's split amazing.
0: Into- you, who would have thought that that was real? Um, Okay, I don't know whether you use your phone for business at all, but I always ask this because I'm a little bit obsessed with mine. Do you have a couple of apps on your phone that you find really
1: useful? Um, No, I don't really. You know, I play chess. I play chess and I play 3D chess. You know, I'm obsessed with that. Any moment, boom, I'm out. 3D chess. (laughs) I'm on it. Okay. Well, look,
0: Louise, thank you so much for a great interview. You're such an interesting woman. I love chatting with you. And what you do is absolutely at the top of your game. So I really appreciate you spending the time with me today to uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. So if, if anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way of doing that just before we
1: finish? I'm terribly easy to find because I've, my website is Louise Marler, Mahler, M A H L E R. Louise Mahler. Uh, just one last question, I have to. I'm the only Dr. No. Louise Mahler in the world. Oh,
0: okay. And are you any relation to the Mahler, the famous Mahler that's the, um, the composer? <clears throat> Probably
1: could be. No
0: idea. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you so much. You. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone for your iPad or tablet and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she's boss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.